1415, King Henry V of England defeated the French decisively at Agincourt. A few years later, a treaty was drawn up between the two countries at Troyes. By the terms of the agreement, Henry was declared heir to the throne of France and given the hand of Catherine, daughter of France's mad King Charles VI. This treaty was the political and historical reason for France's division into two parts. But by 1423, the kings who had initiated the treaty were dead. And now the reason for the split had more to do with might than with right. English might was wielded by John, Duke of Bedford, who acted as regent of France for the infant king, Henry VI. Bedford had no easy task before him. He decided that his mission of bringing France completely under England's control might be carried out more easily by strengthening the alliance that had been made with the Duke of Burgundy. For that Duke, who did not recognize the sovereignty of the French ruler, was all too willing to send his rough soldiery out to ravage the French countryside. By 1427, most of the north and east portions of France were under the domination of England and Burgundy, the Anglo-Burgundian alliance. Only parts of the west and south remained loyal to the crown. But there was no French crown. That is, no one actually wore it. Charles VII, the rightful but disinherited heir to France, was not yet king. His mother, Queen Isabel, had hinted he was illegitimate, and the Treaty of Troyes had excluded him from the royal succession. In the eyes of the common people, he was the Dauphin, that is, the Prince of Dauphiné, just as the heir to the British crown is called the Prince of Wales. He was surrounded by counselors who cared only for their own gain and by factions that bickered constantly among themselves. His chief minister was the fat and evil La Tremoy, whose main interest was collecting money and personal power. La Tremoy had murdered his first wife for her wealth, and had then assassinated his chief rival at court for a position next to the throne. He loaned money to those he wanted to have in his debt, including the impoverished Dauphin and used his position to carry on private wars against his enemies. So France was divided between the English and Burgundians on one side and the French Dauphin on the other. And the land itself was rent by both friends and enemies. All over the countryside, bands of ruffians roamed. Some were groups of Spaniards, Italians, or Scots who had been brought in as mercenaries of the French, but had turned to thievery. Others were local knights who took what they could. Every town had a sentry in a tower, and at the sound of his bell or horn, even the sheep and pigs would run for shelter. Jacques d'Arc, Joan's father, had taken precautions to protect the people of Domremy. He and one of his neighbors had succeeded in renting an unused castle on a small island in the Meuse. This castle became a refuge for the villagers whenever marauding bands threatened them. 
Many times during Joan's childhood, a sentry's alarm in the dead of night sent her and her family tumbling out of their beds, hastening to the tiny castle with what few belongings they could carry clutched to their chests. France had become a lawless country. Her people were vulnerable to enemies both from without and within. In 1428, England set the stage for what was expected to be France's final collapse and sent a new army across the Channel to wipe out what was left of the resistance. By this time, many of France's once loyal barons had deserted the cause. Hope and prayer were all that were left to Charles VII. He was without support, said a chronicler. He lacked advice. He was penniless and soldierless. Yet his heart was filled with love for his realm.